The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everyone, this is the... Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, this is the Baptist. And the Buddhist. With the Mark. And the Brian. <laughs> and this is the episode 16, or 15, 15. Oh my gosh, don't do that to me. I was scared for a well, second. Well, hey, you're the one that ambushed me on starting the podcast. <laughs> we were just in the middle of a conversation, everybody. And then he's like, hey, everybody. I'm like, oh, no, we're going. Yeah, if you don't know what producing a podcast is like, usually for us, it's like a very long time of conversation. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've been sitting here for like... Half an hour. Yep. And I'm, I wasn't even connected to the Ethernet. I noticed okay. that. I was going to warn you about that, too. But um, Okay, now I am, so we should be good. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, I think this, this last episode that we had brought us to this current topic. I don't even know how this happened, but we are talking about... What are we talking about? Symbols? We are talking about symbols. And what exactly... Do sim does a symbol mean? What is a symbol? Because I have so nothing prepared for this episode at all. <laughs> me neither. And I think, I mean, a, what does a symbol mean? What does it mean? Hmm. Um, I mean, a symbol generally is is a, a, an an object or an image that that its meaning is not what it actually is. Um, it, it's symbolic. <laughs> so, I, and I think that, I mean, that's, um, I'm just pulling that uh, definition out of thin air, really. Um, just making, making up a definition. Um, I didn't consult the dictionary or anything for this, but it could be, uh, it could be a lot of things. And I think we're generally looking at like physical representative symbols. Is that right? Like something that you usually, yeah. yeah. It's almost a shorthand for something or representation. Yeah. And what, and what we'll be looking at obviously are symbols popular and maybe not popular within our respective, uh, faith traditions. So I think a lot of what we are going to talk about, at least me, like, I think it's going to echo last episode because we started getting into this topic without knowing it. So, um, a little bit of review, I think. Yeah. So with symbols, like obviously with like, from a Christian perspective, you know where I'm going with this most for the most part, like we have, you know, in the Christian tradition, we always look and see images of a cross and like I can explain a little bit of that like origin which it's kind of simple because Jesus was crucified on a cross a Roman cross um, and I mean very simply you see crosses you see a specific kind of cross called a crucifix that is used by the Catholics and that's a cross with Jesus hanging on it um, most non-Catholics will see that as kind of, um, 
not heretical or blasphemous, but like, uh, antithetical, I guess, to like the whole gospel message because Jesus is no longer on the cross and he actually rose from the grave. So like, why would we want to see him dying? We want to see the cross empty, like, cause he's not on it anymore. Um, which in my own church, we have a cross hanging up. We don't really pay a ton of attention to it. Sometimes the whoever's preaching a message will point to it. It's like that, like, you know, what happened on that, on the cross 2000 years ago. It's kind it's like of that's, just there. That's the reason for the season or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's, you said you don't, you guys don't really like pay much attention to it. And, and it's really just there to like kind of symbolize like where you're at you know in general yeah yeah it's kind of like a you are here sign it's like oh yeah i'm 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 in i'm in a church okay yeah right yeah (laughs) um one thing that like the baptists um and you know a lot of other protestant um and evangelical like denominations in the christian tradition or the christian umbrella will not go for symbols like we kind of i guess frown upon symbols not frown upon it but discourage it um but you'll see tons of symbolism everywhere um especially with the cross and images of jesus now i personally do not favor statues or images of jesus one because the bible says in the 10 commandments not to make a graven image in the likeness of anything that is in heaven or on earth which includes jesus and we're not to have idols which idols in an old testament sense is a is usually some kind of statue that represents a god or some kind of deity or some even some just kind of some kind of being that you worship so we usually want to stay away from graven images or like idols or statues i've been to churches that have huge shrines with a life-size statue of jesus um i've seen you know obviously crucifixes in catholic churches that i've been to i've seen stained glass windows i've seen even you know very closely related baptist churches have stained glass windows with images of jesus or bible stories or whatever um so I, you see it everywhere. And, you know, as you said, it's, it's kind of just like, like, this is like, this is what this area or what you're doing is for. Like, it's obviously we, we're not going to have like a basketball hoop or like a poster of a movie <laughs> or something on the wall, even though there are churches that have facilities with basketball hoops, but that's not usually in the main sanctuary. Sometimes it is actually though. So. Maybe I'll recant my statement there, but <laughs> I was just thinking of other things that hang from walls. But um, the other thing that I don't like about statues of Jesus is that we have no idea what Jesus actually looked like. Um, there are some very old paintings, like very, very old paintings in like around. I think they found one in maybe in the area of Galilee or something somewhere in like the bible land in the holy land um of some church probably like a hundred or couple hundred years after the days of jesus so who knows um 
there are some descriptions of what Jesus looked like in the Bible and in prophecy in the Old Testament. They talk about him having like jet black hair. Um, you know, if you just look back historically, like in that time, the the Romans, since they occupied the area, the the culture of men would to have a little shorter hair, not long flowing hair like you usually see. Um, he was of Middle Eastern descent, so he would have had probably olive or even darker skin, possibly. Um, and uh, you know, he would he wouldn't be the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus that we see in a lot of mainly Catholic paintings or um, other representations you might see, like uh, like the kid that says they like died and went to heaven and came back and they painted a picture. There are so many Christians that cling to that, like that is Je- what Jesus looks like. But mm-hmm. it has he has an '80s hairstyle. He has blue <laughs> eyes, blonde, like light skin. Like that's probably not what he looks like. Um. And, you know, no one knows for sure. Like, he was apparently gentle looking. Um, he was, he, but he wasn't, he wasn't outstanding or anything. He was just a common looking person. Um, but maybe noticeable uh, in some way. Like, he has a sure stature. Uh, and the Bible kind of talks about, like, maybe being, like, chiseled or something. You know, he was the son of a carpenter, which necessarily wouldn't work with wood but maybe like masonry so i mean either way they probably were very fit men so there's no way to know and uh that's why i really don't like using imagery of jesus even like movies and stuff we'll get into movies in one episode but uh like even in movies i hate like liking the movie because like i don't want to picture jesus that way um because i i like he probably doesn't look like that um there 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 have been like tons of variety of jesus looks in movies like really dark darker skin you know the classic jewish look i've seen you know the the european jesus as well so in movies and it's all over the board so um imagery I'm not for it most of the time because of the idol, like the kind of idol worship that might like that you might end up doing or like putting in your mindset. Um, And the fact that we don't really know what Jesus would have looked like. We don't even know what the cross like really looked like. Historically, it probably didn't have like the top pointy part, you know, the, the T like it probably didn't have the top part. Um, Hmm. so the imagery is kind of a loose interpretation, I think with with symbolism, you know, Uh, you would express like, no, no one knows what he looked like. And I think it, it, it brings up maybe an even more important, uh, question, I guess, um, like, what did he look like? Like, does it matter that we don't know what he looks like? Exactly. That, that's very true. Like, I mean, in, does it matter what? He, does it matter what he looks like at all? No. Um, 
And in fact, we know what he will look like in like his second coming. He's actually going to have like red eyes and like probably some kind of like glowing metallic skin or something. And angels are a lot of times they're uh, described that way too. So like, but who knows? Like we don't have pictures in the Bible. Like we don't have drawings in the Bible. We don't know. And it doesn't matter because that's not what what draws our faith that doesn't that doesn't that's not what builds our faith but for some it does for some like that imagery on a wall or a crucifix or a painting like instills something in them that's like whoa like i really need that but is that like is that healthy i i can't answer that question but um to me i i think it detracts from the actual meaning of like what we want scripture to be to us um and there are other symbols as well you'll see doves um your shirt kind of reminded me of that you'll see doves a lot of times we've been i know you and i have been to a church that has a dove for a symbol um and like what does that dove mean that's that usually means that usually symbolizes the holy spirit which a lot of times, like, actually, I, I'm just thinking of some churches I drive by in town, and I, I've seen doves on a few others. But I, you know, again, I'm not one for symbolism too much, but um, a lot of times when you see a dove, especially in, like, the line of churches that I've seen a lot of doves in, like, it's, they, I kind of see it as their... Uh, they emphasize the Holy Spirit a little too much, and that that's what we call it, like charismatic churches. They emphasize the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, like, you know, the gift of tongues and healing and stuff. And maybe not to that extent, but um, the Holy Spirit uh, is usually represented as a dove, which the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of God. So it's not like you want to not think about or worship the Holy Spirit, but sometimes you can emphasize too much one or another. Um, what other symbols are there? I've seen, you know, the three loopy thing that some people call it like the Trinity, but it's oh, not like the, the triketra or something. Yeah, like but a, it's not Celtic really symbol. the, the, yeah, it, it, that's exactly it, but it's not really a symbol of the Trinity. I think people just adopt, adopted it. Um, that way and i've i've seen it's, that used a lot especially in I mean, bibles it's it's a perfect uh a perfect example of symbolism because it's used mm. you know as to you know in in christian circles as you know a symbol of the trinity while if you go to like pagan uh faiths they will use it as a symbol of um of the triple goddess and so it's right it's it's a, it's, it's a symbol that it's almost has a universal no symbol at that point it's what it's almost like a universal symbol at that point like anyone can use it for anything and yeah, i guess I mean, buddhists any- could probably adopt it as the three jewels you know yeah exactly <laughs> the threefold path just kidding <laughs> um I was trying to think of some other imagery and or some other symbolism and it made me think of when I was 
you know, quote unquote commissioned to, um, design a, a logo or an emblem for a Bible Institute. And I actually graduated from the Bible Institute. Um, but a lot of thought was put into this one, just this logo. And it was like, like we need a triangle because that's the representation of the Trinity and like three colors representing each person, each person of the Trinity. And then like, uh, in inside or of the triangle the three colors made up seven which is like you know biblical numerology like seven is a significant number i mean all the numbers have a meaning behind it um but that's like the number of completion or um or well that would be actually yeah like the number of completion um that might be it but there's a there's a lot of thought put into the, the, uh, that logo. And actually, um, we also had a sword in there. A sword is a common symbol that I might see every once in a while, not taken too seriously, like the cross mm. or images of Jesus in Christianity, but like, um, you know, the sword, we, the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. Um, so, so we a lot of times we'll use that that symbolism as you know the the word of god so you might see that somewhere you know on ties or something you know <laughs> um on bible cases or whatever um and that almost i mean going into more symbolism like i don't know if it's symbolism but you'll see in ephesians 6 they talk about the armor of god the whole armor of God and the, the chapter that, that section of the chapter talks about, uh, different pieces of armor that the Romans would have worn. So like the helmet and like the, the breastplate of righteousness and like a gird, like every part of the, the armor it's described as like a piece of something that God is giving you. And, you know, there's the sword and there's a shield. It's like put on the whole armor of God. And like, I've seen like, Roman replica uh, armor sitting in like a lobby of a church maybe or like a little statue on a desk or something. Um, I don't know if that's so much symbolism as it is just like a, a cool like representation of a part that's of the Bible or something. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, with With your talk of symbolism, it makes me think, especially when you were saying how like some people find it useful and it made me think of the the difference between so many so many different faiths use symbolism and there are a few that almost expressly do not so like you know your your kind of approach to it where it's like you know no you know uh mm -hmm. and it reminds me a little of um of islam where they don't have they don't have symbolism um and it, it what's really interesting with 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 islam is that their their mosques instead of decorating it with symbols they they've they've developed the, the beautiful art of calligraphy where they'll hmm. cover the walls and all the just all the ornaments and stuff in 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 verses in this beautiful calligraphy verse hmm. and where like you know 
someone who does who can't read it it's like oh wow that's writing because that's <laughs> it's it's beautiful if you ever see it um it's and it, it's an interesting kind of uh alternative to 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 symbols and that images. is so true and you know i've seen the same thing in in churches too not like beautiful calligraphy well maybe sometimes actually but like instead of having like a cross or some like wall decorations it'll be just banners with like a verse or like like lord of lords and king of kings or something like that which is scripture but um yeah that, i never thought of that as well but that is very that's very interesting um yeah but i know some the... no go ahead i was gonna say then on the flip side you have you know say like greek orthodoxy which is like they have icons and they're very important and if you ever see it the end like i want to go to a greek or greek orthodox church just because of how ornate and colorful it looks it's just <laughs> like wild it, 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 look look up videos of it because it's yeah it's really something interesting yeah i've seen like I, i've seen some catholics homes like statues everywhere of every saint you can think of um angels which are normally biblically incorrect with the description of angels and the statue representation, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. <laughs> no statues, um, statues, the, you know, true, true to the book statues would be kind of frightening. Exactly. We'll talk about that one of these days. I'm, I'll, I really want to get into angelology and, and stuff like that. Cause there are a lot of misconceptions and myths and even like people that think they know the misconceptions don't actually know the misconceptions. Um, it's, they're actually pretty, it's, it's such a fun topic, but, um, with the, with the idea of like explicitly no symbolism that kind of, for some reason that made me think of some, um, some, belief systems maybe uh, i'm probably thinking of like messianic jews which are basically christians that don't call themselves christians they believe jesus is the messiah but they'll st stick with the with the uh judaism uh, reference i guess but they will not and some other sects of christianity will do this and you know judaism they will not spell out the name of god oh yeah um, they won't even spell out God. They won't, they won't, they'll admit the O or put a dash in there or whatever. Um, or Yah Yahweh or Je uh, Jehovah or what have you. And, uh, I mean, they'll even, they won't say Jesus. They'll say, uh, Yeshua, um, uh, or yeah, Yeshua. Um, I mean, they'll even sing like modern hymns instead of saying Jesus, they'll say Yeshua. And that, that's always pretty interesting. I was, when I was in Israel, one of the, uh, one of the hotels we were staying at in the old city of Jerusalem, it was a, I think it was a messianic like hotel. And like when you go to breakfast, they'll pray and sing, sing hymns before you eat. And it was really interesting, but they sang blessed assurance. Yeshua is mine. Whereas in like, a traditional Christian church, you'll see 
blessed assurance Jesus is mine. So that was kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting thing there. Hmm. But, and I, I think like, uh, I was just thinking about my trip to Israel and all the symbolism I saw there, but that goes more into Judaism and not so much Christianity. Yeah. But again, some of the, some sects of Christianity will adopt all of those, all of that symbolism, um, and traditions as well. And, uh, you know, so I know some Christians that will celebrate Passover and, uh, and the Jewish holidays, um, to an extent. So a lot of them will, uh, a lot of the symbolism can cross over as well. But I, I think that's really the only symbolism that I can think of. Is there any that you always saw at, for like Christians that you, that I missed or maybe that you had questions on or something? Nothing specific, um, but something that I was going to talk about with symbolism actually reminded me of this. You know, I'm sure uh, many people know of the the little, I don't know, parable, um, the apocryphal, probably very modern parable. I don't know. I'm not even sure where it comes from, but of, you know, the, the, the footprints in the sand. Oh, I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of, like a lot of times, uh, you get the symbolism of the footprints, um, usually maybe in reference to that, to that story, um, of, um, I don't even know exactly hmm. uh, the summary of the story or anything, but like, I don't know. I, I feel like I've seen that in seen images of footprints in a, in a kind of Christian context. Um, you know, I think I have two, um, and I have no idea where that, that story came from, but I see it everywhere. And like some Christian churches will have it like that story up on a wall. It's just inspirational. And like, it's not biblical. It's not like scripturally based or anything. Like it doesn't come from scripture that I know of. Like it doesn't come from the Bible, but I mean, I, yeah, that's a good question in my mind is where did that come from? <laughs> Yeah, and it's and it's particularly interesting to me because apparently in early Buddhism, the image of footprints was like a main symbol of of the Buddha and Buddhism, um, hmm. and it was it's been explained, and I don't I don't know how really accurate this is um, that it was so because. Um, you know, because when the Buddha died, he, you know, gained final liberation and he wasn't going to be born anymore. Um, he wasn't going to suffer anymore. And so all that was left behind was very symbolically a footprint of the teachings. And, um, hmm. and I don't know, probably doesn't tie back to this but there's a sutta where uh, footprints are involved and um, where I don't know exactly the question that was asked 
but something probably along the lines of what's the you know one teaching that encapsulates all these teachings you know seems like there's so much and it's so complex and convoluted you know um and the buddha said the the four noble truths is 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 like an elephant's footprint in that all the other footprints fall in can fit into that footprint so it's like four noble truths that's the the big you know everything can fit into the four noble truths um but i don't think the the image of the footprints is related to that but um so in early buddhism there's the image of the footprint uh i don't i don't ever really see that anywhere really in buddhism anymore hmm. um another early symbol that was used to represent the teachings uh was the a, a leaf a, a leaf of the bodhi tree which is a very distinctive leaf um and and we you will still see it on different uh different books and stuff a lot of a lot of buddhist books will use the image of the leaf because it's so versatile i guess but it's a very simple leaf but with a very like pointed end hmm. and you people will go to bodh gaya where the bodhi tree is uh, or the grand the great great grand child of the bodhi tree and you know collect the leaves um that have fallen and i guess it represents obviously it rep- represents enlightenment because the buddha sat under the bodhi tree uh when he gained enlightenment but also could tie back to when the buddha said that the the, the teachings he gives are like a handful of leaves compared to the forest of all the knowledge that is gained in in you know in awakening so mm-hmm. it's like these leaves are what's important um i don't know if that's actually true about the symbol symbolizing that but um one of i think one of my favorite symbols you find in buddhism is is the the dharma wheel the the dhammachaka which is the eight eight-spoked wheel that represents the eightfold path i think you can see two behind you at least yeah there's there's one on this on this guitar then this one and then okay yeah i forgot about that one so yeah there's three and um there's one there we go there's one behind that statue okay (laughs) um which leads me to my next point um statues like it's the elephant in the room well that that's actually ganesha but um (laughs) uh statues what is up with the statues right um and it's interesting because i don't think statues were used in early buddhism until i think it was an influence that came from from greece uh when they or rome I, i can't remember which one that they started implementing this the the art of statue making um when you started seeing all these buddhist buddha statues come about and and 
it's an interesting topic because is the Buddha worshipped? No, like most Buddha, most early Buddhists, um, there are there are some Buddhists who would worship the Buddha and pray to the Buddha and uh, do all that, but um, but most Buddhists don't worship the Buddha, don't pray to the Buddha. He's a he's a teacher. Um, so why are there these statues? And that's I don't know if I have a concrete answer as to why why they they're statues or why we have them. Um, but but some people will say, and I think and I think this is like probably at least especially in the modern world, like the the answer to why we have statues is that they they're a reminder of um you know they they can remind you of the of the buddha and the teachings he taught and you could say oh yeah his teachings you know the practice but it also can symbolize you know the the possibility of awakening from a personal standpoint so a lot of people will have shrines like my little shrine over here with the statue and the the dhamma um and a lot of people will have these shrines sometimes they're very ornate and there's like specific rules to follow with keeping a traditional shrine um, and sometimes it's just a table with a statue, sometimes not even a statue, you know, sometimes maybe just a book or it even could be the, the Dharma wheel symbol or something, or could just be a flower. Um, but really what shrines do, especially in the modern, modern day is it offers a, a focal point, um, especially, especially for like a formal sitting practice of meditation, you have these visual reminders of why you're sitting down, like why are you're doing this like kind of radical thing of not doing anything, you know, like you're sitting there and watching your breath, which is, can sometimes seem a little crazy. Like why am I, why am I sitting here not, you know, going off and, eating a snack or something or trying to get something done and you have these reminders of like oh yeah there's there's a point to this <laughs> and i mean that's kind of a a generic modern approach to why statues um but also you get um let's see uh, you get like Oh my gosh, this is so disorienting. Um, you get statues of bodhisattvas as well. Like that, that's Kuan Yin. Um, if you ever go to the Nelson Atkins Museum, um, their Asian art is that's just in amazing. That's in Kansas City. In, in Kansas City. Um, and one of their, ma their most famous pieces is a very similar large wooden statue from... I'm not even going to try to guess what century, like the 13th century or something, 18th century. I don't know. I'm guessing. Um, hmm. This large statue of Guanyin, and it's, and 
they're sitting there and behind them is are uh like i don't know reliefs from a monastery wall of like very ancient faded artwork um and like wooden wooden pillars and walls and the roof and it's just really cool um and they also have this huge amitabha buddha statue at the top of the stairs um and and when you get into mahayana buddhism i mean the statues are everywhere you have all the bodhisattvas and uh mainly bodhisattvas um remind <laughs> remind the listeners what bodhisattva is a bodhisattva is an, an enlightened being who in, in the Mahayana tradition has has uh, set aside their own enlightenment to help all sentient beings awaken and become enlightened. So you, gotcha. they're, they're, they're beings of, of, of unlimited compassion, pretty much like, especially you have like Kuan Yin, um, who is the Bodhisattva of compassion. And, um, in, in the Tibetan tradition, you'll see, uh, Kuan Yin, uh, in the form of Chen Rezi. They don't have Kuan Yin in the Tibetan tradition. They have Chen Rezi, who has a thousand arms. And so you'll see these images of, and it just looks like a, a, a white, you know, kind of peacock disc or something behind them, but there are like a thousand arms. And hmm. the story is that Chen Rezi uses these a thousand arms to to help and the story was that like they were um you know it's like oh i'm gonna try to help all sentient beings and uh and the story is that chen rizzi was like i just i just don't have enough i just don't have enough hands to help you know and so like they asked a a a, a deity or something like, hey, could you give me like more arms to help? Um, I'm completely paraphrasing this story, obviously, but um, so Chenrezig has a thousand arms, and and the, and the Tibetan tradition is symbolism is key, um, and you get the the tankas, which are the the paintings, the very fancy paintings with like the silk frames and. They're used. They're actually used in like a tantric practice of visualization. You'll you'll use it um, traditionally as a visualization object, uh, but I don't know enough about that really to say much more than that. So, the question about some statues because you always see like this chubby, fat, jolly Buddha statue. Like, what's up with that? Because yeah. I noticed. I've noticed your statues or like other statues that I've seen are not chubby and jolly. Yeah, that is such a good point. And I was actually <laughs> going to cover that if whenever we, were, we would do misconceptions and I'll oh, probably yeah, bring yeah, it okay. up back up in that episode too. But that is an excellent question because so many people, so many people look at that, look at those statues and you know, the, the laughing fat Buddha and say, Oh, that's the Buddha. But that is not the Buddha. Like it is probably one of the biggest misconceptions in Buddhism. People think that that jolly 
uh, jolly chubby round guy is is Siddhartha Gotama, and it's just not true. Um, <laughs> so that so you you see statues like statues of the Buddha. It's just a guy, and sometimes you see the emaciated statue where he's all skin and bone of before he was given the milk rice. Um, and which is a funny kind of comparison that you have the, like the starving Buddha and then a normal Buddha and then this laughing chubby Buddha. Like what is up with that? But that, that, that the fat Buddha, the laughing Buddha, as a lot of people call it, is actually, uh, I can't remember the century, like fifth or seventh or ninth century, uh, Chinese monk. Uh, named Bodai or Hotai. I think Hotai is a Japanese name for him. I can't remember. And he was he, he was a what a, a saint. Um, they don't have like saints like traditional you know maybe Catholic traditions would call a saint. But he was a, a saint. Um, and he could actually kind of uh, draw some comparisons between him and santa claus in that they carry a bag and they give gifts to people um and they're jolly and laughing um and and i mean it's it's just plain plainly not the buddha Um, so yeah i've i've heard and i remember this specific sermon once that i heard and the preacher was like talking about you know other religions and he's like big belly buddha and like that (laughs) phrase has always stuck with me and like you'll catch me saying it or like referencing to that that specific phrase from that specific sermon every once in a while (laughs) but i knew it was incorrect i knew it wasn't actually yeah i I mean the buddha wasn't a big belly little statue guy yeah and it's i mean it's because he's he was a, a Chinese monk and um and there's an interesting like there's interesting lore around Hotai or Bodai in that some people say he is he will become the next Buddha uh which in in Mahayana Buddhism the next Buddha is named Maitreya which comes from the Sanskrit version of the word metta which is loving kindness so Maitreya is said to be the next Buddha who will appear in the world. And a, a Buddha, like, you know, they're, they're what we call a Buddha, like the Buddha. Yeah, he's an enlightened being. But the difference between him and, say, someone who's gained enlightenment from his teachings is that this, the, this Buddha, like the Buddha has just discovered the path to enlightenment on their own. And so one day, just like everything, because everything's impermanent, even the Dhamma will fade away and will be forgotten about. And then after that, another Buddha will eventually appear. So um, would you would you say, could you say that there is a, like a kind of a hint or of uh some kind of form of prophecy in that then i mean you you, and this could be another episode discussion right here but i mean you could 
and you know people can make all the conjectures they want and oh you know in 50,000 years or you know 50,000 kalpas or eons or whatever an, another buddha will appear because the dhamma today will be forgotten it's not really prophecy it's just it's it, it's following the it's law of impermanence and also yeah and it's and it's not it, it and the thing we have to remember is it's happened before you know there was a buddha before the buddha was it on this world who knows you know but in 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 a world system a buddha will arise teach the path to awakening which is a universal concept of you know ending this ending your suffering and ending ending this cycle of death and rebirth that comes from suffering and eventually that person who's like whoa i found whoa what i just discovered this um eventually those teachings will go away will fade away with everything else you know just like everything else um and eventually come back again naturally in its own time in its own course and they say you know in a in a in a future lifetime bodai will be will be born as this maitreya person and discover the dhamma and teach it so hmm. it's it's so a, that could it, be that could be a big belly buddha <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly if you look at the images of maitreya of the future buddha he doesn't look like hotai man come on and he's no. actually it's interesting because a lot of times you you see images of the Buddha sitting down in like a lotus position or, you know, seated on the ground. Or if you if you look at like the the dying Buddha statue where he's laying on his side, um, but he's never sitting in a chair. But Maitreya is portrayed in sitting in a chair or sitting seated like up on something, and that's mm. like that's that makes him different you know he's a different buddha of a different time wow interesting well that sounds like a, another topic for another episode like maybe <laughs> on prophecy or something but but you don't get that a lot in early buddhism in in uh in the suttas and in the theravada traditions you hmm. don't have if if there is a mention of it it's not emphasized as it is in uh in mahayana Hmm. But I mentioned uh, like the dying Buddha statue and there's the Buddha. And another thing about symbolism and imagery is that, especially in Mahayana, these statues will have their hands in a very specific position. Um, and each position, it's, they're, called a, they're called mudras. And they, they symbolize something. There's a, a mudra for, for teaching or for fearlessness or something. Um, a lot of Buddhist statues, a lot of Buddha statues you'll see, um, he has one hand in his lap and then the other hand is like hanging over his knee just, just above touching the ground. And that's a famous position from the story of his enlightenment when the when mara the the personification of temptation and defilements like puts you know 
challenges the Buddha, like, oh, you know, what right do you have to enlightenment? You know, who will witness this? And he touches the earth and is like, well, the earth will. And so you see that a lot in the statues of him touching the earth and saying, the earth is my witness. Hmm. And, um, but also, I don't know which direction I have to lean. Um, there's also this, this statue. And this is a, uh, a statue of the baby Buddha um, on the night of his birth. According to the, the legends, he's he's born out of the right side of his mother's of his mother like under her arm and he takes seven steps and he points up and uh apparently proclaims that this this is my last birth i am here to you know teach um and in his footsteps lotuses bloom it's a very uh flowery uh, literally and uh, <laughs> symbolically, uh, story that has a lot of a lot of symbolism. Um, hmm. But you see that statue or that statue a lot of the of the baby Buddha, you know, pointing up, um, used on uh, Vesak, which is like the biggest Buddhist holiday, uh, celebrating the Buddha's birth. Um, okay. Kind of like, okay. kind of like a, a Christmas, you know. Yeah, usually baby Jesus is just wrapped up in some swaddling clothes, which is traditionally grave, like a grave covering for dead bodies. That is really, really interesting. That he's swaddled, uh, swaddled up in 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 grave clothes, basically. Yeah, that's what they say. I'm not so, sure how scripturally based that is, but so this is very related um in the story of the buddha uh when he gained enlightenment um he you know he he wanted to 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 wear robes and uh the the first the first sangha members also you know gathered cloth to make robes and where did they go for the cloth they went to the charnel grounds and they took the grave coverings, the grave cloths, and hmm. made patchwork, uh, patchwork robes. And you even still see the patchwork uh, in in some uh, modern monastic robes. You see that patchwork. But um, as the sangha developed, they decided there are better ways to get cloth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then people started wanting to donate cloth for robes, and so they had to make concessions for that as well. Man, so clothing could almost be another episode because oh there's a lot it to really be could. said about some clothing in the Bible too, especially oh, like with Jesus. I could I could talk a lot about just the monastic robes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do that. We'll have to do an episode on clothes. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that'd be oh. that'd be. I'll put that good. down in our file. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was interesting that that Jesus was wrapped up in grave graveyard cloth, and the Buddha wrapped himself in graveyard cloth. See, I don't know. I I would have to verify the validity of that statement because the Bible says swaddling clothes, which you know, in a in a barn they're not going to have baby swaddling blankets. Um. 
and the swaddling clothes. I mean, maybe Joseph and Mary had them, but I th- some people <coughs> tend to think that it is a like a, a like grave clothes. I'm not sure where exactly they get that from. It might be from like the the Greek or something in the Bible, like from the translations, but I'll have to look into that a little bit. Hmm. But yeah, there's other stuff that we can say about grave clothes that I won't because I'll save that. (laughs) (laughs) But symbolism. Yeah. Yes. Symbolism. Um, I don't know. I feel like symbolism symbols in Buddhism is it's such a vast topic because I mean trying to stick to a Theravada perspective might help a little but I mean in Mahayana there's so much to be said about symbolisms in symbolism and statues and images and hmm. I mean for me the main ones are the the Dharma wheel I mean there that's like and to me, that's like the only symbol you really need for Buddhism <laughs> because it encapsulates the uh, the path. You know, and like it almost, that almost like to me, like the cross, like if I had to choose a symbol for Christianity, it would probably be the cross. I mean, ideally I would like it to be a Bible, but like sometimes it's just not possible, but because... Uh, <laughs> And probably not like as well adopted as a cross, but um, I don't know. It, it just seems like that would be the universal thing. I also thought of another symbol real quick for Christianity is that that's the fish symbol. You see that oh, on yeah. cars and stuff. Um, you see that on like even the the TV show, The Chosen. They use that symbol as like their opening title sequence and everything and. Um, I'm not 100%, um, sure on like what exactly, like why people use that symbol. I know, you know, Jesus uses fish a lot for miracles. He fed the 5,000 and another 5,000 with fish. He, um, he, uh, had Peter pull up the nets and miraculously it, there was so much fish that it almost sank his boat. Um, he had Peter get a fish and whoa, his tax money was in the fish, the fish's mouth. Um, there's a lot of fish involved and I think people mainly use it because like Jesus did miracles with fish. Um, but the chosen title sequence uses it as like everyone's going in the flow but Jesus was going against the flow and like the title sequence, like more and more fish will start going against the flow. Um, oh, I, yeah. I thought that was kind I, of an interesting, an interesting, uh, I remember use of that, that I remember that intro now. Um, I remember hearing something about like, cause there's a story of how that fish symbol is drawn on the outside of the homes of, the very early Christians to 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 show where they are, like where they're meeting or whatever, and something to do with like the like the Greek word, uh, I think it's Greek the Greek word 
for fish. It was like ichthys or something. Um, and how that somehow related to, to the Christ or something like somehow with the letters, something matched up with something. Hmm. I don't know, but I don't, and I don't even know how accurate or reliable any of that is. It's just what I've seen on the internet. (laughs) You know, that does sound right because I've seen the fish symbol with the Greek word, a Greek word in it. I don't know if that Greek word was for Jesus or whatever. I mean, I guess Jesus would be the Greek word for that, for that name, I think. Um, But, you know, you'll see Jesus written English in the fish or a cross in the fish or it's eating a Darwin fish or whatever they do. Or it says, in chips. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, but yeah, that's another one that I, you see a lot that... I don't really know of any churches that actively use it, but a lot of Christians like will use that, especially on their car for some reason. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, that's. I think that's all I have for symbolism. Like, you know... And I, just like any other topic, we could go more into it. I could talk about um, idolatry and the, like why the why that aspect of symbolism like kind of pushes symbol like having symbols away from some Christians. Um, I mean, and that can go over to like having tattoos and stuff too, but. Um, that pushes Christians away from that as well. Um, I mean, some and not, not all just like the symbolism, some, not all. I know some Christians that wear a cross around their, their on a necklace. Um, and I think it's very not set in stone for, for Christianity in general, obviously, but even in a tighter like Baptist circle. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about uh, what you might call idolatry in Buddhism, where it's. And I, I wish I had like looked this up, but there's something in the suttas, or I don't, I don't even know where. Um, I haven't seen this in a very, very long time, but it, you know, it, it equates to the Buddha saying something along the lines of like, you know, don't don't make images of me worship me like don't do that and then they made statues but um yeah but there's a <clears throat> a famous uh quote that floats around a lot um i don't even think it's from an actual buddhist uh source it might be like alan watts or something who popularized a lot of zen buddhism Um, and I know it was a title of a book as well, but it was, it's, if you see the Buddha in the road, kill him. And it's like, whoa, what in the world? But it kind of plays off of like the, the Zen, um, playfulness. Zen Buddhism is very playful in, in, in a lot of their stories and stuff. And it's, and it basically boils down to if you you know if you think you've come across enlightenment abandon that abandon that idea because you're not there yet um 
don't mistake enlightenment for just another ordinary experience that probably will just lead to more suffering. (laughs) So there's this idea of like not, and I mean, I see it a lot um, in, in the, the hin or in the fetter and uh of 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 views like we're we're urged in the in the in the teachings not to cling to views and you know or opinions or doctrines um especially doctrines of self um and I, I, I feel like if someone relies too heavily on an image or an idea, um, they're falling prey to that that defilement or that fetter of of clinging to a view, you know? Mm-hmm. It's and I think I, I think it's a it's a it's a tricky trap to get sucked into because there are some uh, practices where, oh, all you have to do is chant this chant this one phrase at the moment of your death, and you'll be reborn into a, a pure realm. And it's like, but chanting a word isn't gonna isn't gonna do anything specific. Like, yeah. Like it might help you focus on a. a, a a skillful intention but if if you put too much faith in a word or a phrase or an image you're going to get stuck in it you know you're going to get you're going to get sidetracked i guess hmm. and you're going to yeah. lose focus of the real path yeah i mean i could I could say something to that effect too, but I don't know if I want to get in that rabbit trail right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll save that for like common misconceptions. That will be the next episode. <laughs> Since so like that's the idea. natural natural way we're leaning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, is there anything else to say about this topic at all? Not unless you want me to ramble like I have. <laughs> <laughs> you're not rambling. You're you're teaching us. Um, but I think I think that's a good place to stop um, with this topic. Maybe we'll pick it back up some other day because there is a lot to say about that, about all of this. Um, but I think this is uh, this was a very good conversation. And we found our topic for next next episode, so awesome. <laughs> well, um, everyone, thank you for listening and watching. You can always find us on podcast platforms across the across the internet or your smartphone. Subscribe, leave us reviews, find us on YouTube, um, Baptist and Buddhist, the Baptist and the Buddhist on YouTube. Um, subscribe, hit that notification bell, leave us a comment. Um, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. Look us up. Email us at baptistandbuddhist at gmail.com. 
for any questions, concerns, you just drop us a line, say hi. Yeah, just say hi. Yeah, actually, just say hi. Don't question or anything. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yell at us. We we want it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I th- yeah, please do interact because we love interactions. And maybe one day we'll we'll uh, air that interaction on one of our episodes. You never know. You never know. But that does it for this episode. You have been listening to The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.